Well, welcome again, and welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. It's so great to have you back. This evening, uh, Francis and I are going to pick up on a promise, Francis, that we made a number of weeks ago, as I recall, that we were going to begin to go through some of the lesser-known saints, lesser-known, perhaps, uh, to um, folks who may not be as familiar with Carmel, Uh, but nonetheless significant individuals in their own right, and they each have a special gift to impart to not only us in Carmel, but to those who may be interested in Carmel or those who are just looking at um, the uh, charisms of the Carmelite order. But let's begin as we do. First of all, how are you this evening? I want to make sure that uh, everything's okay for you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm not lost. <laughs> I see you're wearing your beautiful caramel T-shirt this evening. That's oh, great. yes. I wish our audience could uh, see this. It's It's got the beautiful shield of the Carmelite order on it. And um, I I like how it reminds me of the zeal of, of love. Love is so zealous. Well, what we'll have to do, Francis, is we'll get a, uh, one of those video cams in the studio here and then we can be out on the internet as well. I have a better idea. Let's. I'll just take a picture of the shirt, okay, <laughs> and I'll post it on Facebook. Okay. You know, I want to remind our listeners that we have a um, Facebook at carmelite.conversations at yahoo.com. Well, I guess that's our email, carmelite.conversations at yahoo.com. It's got to be a capital C for Carmelite. But we also have a Facebook, so if you want to just Google. Uh, Get on there and uh, type in Carmelite Conversations. You'll find us. In fact, Mark, I wanted to tell um, everybody that we have been getting some uh, commentary on our Facebook. Um, we've getting uh, we're getting a lot of likes now. People are tuning in, and I want to invite our listeners. If you do like us, to please share us with others, you know, and uh, and introduce them to this program. So uh, we got a, a little message from uh, Diane, and she was uh, listening to our series on the Holy Face, and she told me that their community um, started this uh, devotion of having a traveling Holy Face picture, uh, which a member takes home each month, and, and included with this Holy Face, they would have a candle and a Holy Face prayer book. Um, a Holy Face uh, Rosary, and a Holy Face Novena CD. And so they share that from month to month among the members. And, um, of course, we know from our series that the Holy Face devotion is very strong in Carmel and has been going on for a long time. And so um, I just want to invite our listeners to consider doing that, um, maybe among your prayer groups or in your own Carmelite communities. We can't, uh, I think, emphasize enough the importance of that devotion right now, especially in uh, the difficult times that we're facing in this country, Um, the challenges to religious freedom that we're um, experiencing, also uh, the difficulties of... uh, uh, of just um, you know the Lord's message, uh, being able to uh, to get out to so many people who are in such need of it, and in each of the instances when the devotion of the Holy Face was brought back into the church uh, by our Lord, it was for that specific purpose to to uh, uh, wage, I guess, a defense against the onslaughts of of uh, perpetuating the faith in the church and. 
Of course, we've done the series on it. We'll probably pick up and do another a brief series on the Holy Face because it is so important and certainly a very Carmelite devotion. Yes, yeah, so let us know how the devotion is working for you, um, what you're, um, how you're growing through it. And what blessings may be coming as a result of it because there are no shortage of uh, blessings as a, a result of uh, uh, folks who have begun the practice of devotion to the Holy Face. Why don't we begin, uh, Francis, uh, our own devotion here this evening with a prayer as we begin the program. Well, this prayer is um, from the opening prayer of the liturgy for the saint that we're going to talk about. Um, This is Saint Raphael Kalinowski of Saint Joseph, and he's very well known in Poland, uh, not so widely known here in the United States. Uh, And this effort we're making tonight is to help introduce you to an extraordinary saint. So, but, but let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, You made your priest, St. Raphael Kalinowski, strong in adversity and filled him with a great love in promoting church unity. Through his prayers, make us strong in faith and in love for one another, that we too may generously work together for the unity of all believers in Christ. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns within you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, you mentioned uh, that Joseph Kolonoski, Saint Kolonoski, Raphael Kolonoski, and his uh, Carmelite name was not a particularly well-known saint here in the United States, even to this day. And we do hope to uh, overcome some of that. Uh, I want to sort of lay out a capstone observation about what I think this particular saint's message is and his real a teaching, and that is that he was a very active contemplative, uh, a man whose theology wasn't simply an intellectual understanding, but a lived experience. This is central to his spirituality, and that's what we're going to talk about this evening. We will uh, cover some of the biographical sketches of his life, some of the details of his life, because they're important to understand the development of the person. But as we do with all the saints, we really want to get to an understanding of his spirituality and what it is that his life represents as a model uh, of spirituality, certainly within the uh, uh, Carmelite tradition. Well, let me set this up a little bit. Um, He was born September 1st in 1835 in Vilna, Poland, which is also known as Vilnius, um, Poland or Lithuania. Lithuania. <laughs> I'm going to be so tongue-tied with all the Polish words, so forgive me. But anyway, we know that place from a very famous saint of recent um, uh, fame, <laughs> and that would be St. Faustina of the Divine Mercy Devotion. Um, she actually comes after St. Raphael Kalinowski, but she would have known of him because he was very predominant in Poland. And so his uh, works, his uh Writings would have been very influential. And, in fact, if you read um, St. Raphael Kalinowski's works, you will see that theme of divine mercy coming into play many, many times. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point out, too, the text that we're going to speak from this evening is also, as are many, uh, an ICS, Institute of Carmelite Studies, 
a publication. It's actually fairly uh, thin, uh, Francis, much thinner than most of the texts that we work with. This was less than 70 pages, but nonetheless very, I think, rich in terms of the details of his spirituality. And some really potent writings at the end that, that he wrote himself. His writings, right, the conferences that he gave. Yes. He didn't actually do a lot of writing other than the histories, uh, which we'll get into. He rewrote, if you will, the histories for Carmel in Poland, and he had a very specific reason for doing that. We'll talk about that. Uh, but what he's most noted for are the conferences he gave to Carmelite nuns. And these are great teachings, and many of which have been retained. Much of it now has been translated, though not all of it, uh, into English. Now, I have to throw this out there, too. Uh, in this time, this is the pre-World War One period, and... Um, uh, St. Raphael Kalinowski uh, was captured. We'll get into that. But what I wanted to point out is that there is a famous pope associated with this saint, and it is the one who canonized him. Yeah, and you know what? Let's go ahead and play the quiz this evening. You want to do <laughs> Who's that? Who's going to win the car? <laughs> <laughs> what uh, We may have already given it away, but what famous pope uh, not only would have been familiar uh, with our St. Kalinowski, but... Um, actually um, was very familiar with the uh, city in which Kalinowski died, uh, which is Wadowice, uh in Poland. With a W. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we'll leave that up to our listeners to decide, and uh, we'll probably have a special prize of grace for the first uh, caller who gives yeah. us the correct answer to that question. Yeah. Let us just remind you of our number here. If you do want to join the conversation or you've got the answer to that question, it's at one eight six six. Three 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 six two seven nine. Again, that's one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. And we're looking for the name of a famous pope uh, associated with the city of Wadowice in Poland, uh, where um, Saint Kalinowski uh, actually died at the convent, the Carmel in Wadowice. It's also important, I think, Francis, to point out this area that he was born into was uh, a commonwealth, a Polish-Lithuanian commonwealth, under uh, Russian partition. So the Russian uh, state, of course, controlled this area of the of the uh, Eastern European, um, his Eastern European area and when was, he was born. And and and, it, and it was, the Russians were uh, really anti-Catholic. Uh, and so, you know, there were rough times. Yeah, very difficult times for the church in Poland. Of course, they closed down many of the churches, many of the uh, monasteries, uh, converted them either to prisons or uh, schools or public uh, uh, buildings and so forth, which is uh, really the the connection to um, um, St. Kalinowski's um, later mission to rewrite the history uh, of the uh, the Carmels in a Poland, it was such an important part of his role in life. Let's cover just quickly some of the additional details. He was born a second son of Andrew Kalinowski, uh, who lived from 1805 to 1878. He was an assistant superintendent professor of mathematics at the local Institute for Nobles, a school uh, in the city where, um, where St. Raphael Kalinowski was born. His mother, Josephine, uh, died a few months after he was born, leaving him and his older brother, Victor, without a mother. Now, I have to say something. Now, yeah. isn't that a common theme among many of our Carmelite <clears throat> saints? They lose a parent early in life. Yeah, it is. It's an unfortunate, perhaps, uh, a consistent and common theme. Uh, yes. You have Gillian on the line. Gillian, how are you this evening? Hi, good, thank you. How are y'all? 
Uh, we are doing fine. Did I say that right? Yes. Gillian, okay, great. What, what can we do for you this evening? Do you have the answer to our question yes, I'm gathering? I'd like to guess. Is it Pope Leo the 13th? Uh, okay. Oh, no, actually, it's not. That's a great guess, but it is not oh, Pope Leo the 13th. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll really well, appreciate y'all for Radio Maria. For those of us who are well, we appreciate you out. listeners. Well, thank you very much for that. You know, I wanted to say Pope Leo Thirteenth is actually one of my favorite popes as well. He's one of our better written popes, certainly one of our more intellectual popes, although they all are uh, uh, gifted in that regard. But he certainly among them was... Uh, was uh, perhaps most prolific in his writing, and, and so uh, certainly a favorite of mine. And I do appreciate the guest, but let me ask you, Gillian, where are you calling from? From Mamu, Louisiana. Oh, okay. I Yay, thought I detected Louisiana. the uh, <laughs> the uh, the accent there. Well, thank you so much for uh, for calling, and thank you more even for listening. We we uh, of course, uh, Francis and I struggle our way sometimes to the studio, whether it's the weather or or the other challenges we face. But it's always a blessing once we get here. And so, uh, I'll tell you what, because I'm the host and I get to do this, I will make sure that we have uh, uh, prayers uh, said for you, and you'll gain special graces, even though you may not have identified the exact correct Pope. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Okay, so we can up the ante, and the next person who gets the right answer will get a yeah. double portion. <laughs> we'll have to make sure that Father John says a Mass for uh, whoever it is. Now, Gillian now is on the list, but oh, we'll okay. make sure that uh, there's an additional Mass said for whoever gets that uh, answer to the Pope, uh, born in Vadovice and also... Uh, um, was uh, St. Um, Kalinowski was the uh, boyhood hero of this particular pope. Oh, we'll yeah. add that additional uh, little insight here. Okay, all right. Well, let's go on with uh, the rest of the details here. Um, uh, after his mother dies, his father um, marries Josephine's sister, which is a common practice at that time, and they had more kids. And then she dies, and he marries a third time. And uh, then this mother was uh, very educated and you know was very good with the kids, and they had four more kids on top of that. Um, Sophie was her name, yes. the, the third wife, Sophie. Yeah. Right, so he, he has a lot of sisters and brothers out there, okay? Now, uh, so let's jump ahead. Um, on, on to college. Uh, now, he was a very well-educated young man because his father, of course, having been uh, a professor of mathematics at the Institute, made sure that his son was well-trained in mathematics and science, um, early stages of engineering. His choice of colleges, unfortunately, because of the Russian uh, component, were extremely limited. So in 1853, he enlisted in the Russian Army and entered the um, Engineering Academy. I'm not going to butcher the name, Francis. I see you looking <laughs> over our notes. Uh, but it was the Engineering Academy run by the Russian uh, government. And uh, he was promoted in 1856 to second lieutenant. And then in 1857, he assumed responsibilities as the associate professor of mathematics, where he was um, retained from 1858 to 1860, um, and then worked as an engineer who helped actually design the Odessa-Kiev-Kursk portion of the Trans-Siberian Railway. 
Yeah, yeah. Little did he know that he was going to create a railway to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, I wanted to point this out. Is already we see him as being uh, somewhat of a leader, uh, a teacher, and he also, uh, you know, being an engineer. This is a great uh, uh, person to go to if you have an engineering mind. I have to point that out. Yeah, of course, a, a great uh, uh, fan of the program, a guest of the program many times. Our own deacon, uh, Rusty Ball. Uh, who has joined us uh, in the past. Uh, this is a very special saint for him. And, of course, Rusty yeah. himself is an engineer. Deacon Baldwin is an engineer. Yeah, he took this name as his name in religion. He did. He and, did. and because of my encouragement, because he had the um, military background and the yeah. engineering background, and there was a couple of other things. But in the end, there was something else that drew him. And if he's out there listening, it wouldn't be nice if he'd call in and share that story with well, us. Well, I, I don't know that you could find a better patron uh, than uh, St. Raphael because of uh, what we're hoping to... Uh, to be able to share about his spirituality. We certainly will. Uh, but this background, I think, is necessary and important, Francis, as you point out, to understand the person. Uh, in 1862, he was promoted to captain in the Russian army. Um, and in 1863, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, later in 1863, he became involved in um, the uh, sort of underground, if you will, of the Polish people. Right who were seeking to free themselves from the Russian imposition. And the problem here was that, you know, when he was in the Russian army, he saw how the poor people and, and the Catholics were really being persecuted. And, you know, it was in his conscience that he, he could no longer be a part of this. And so he's resigning for that. And it's not that he wants to be a part of this resurrect, uh, insurrection against the Russian army, but yet he has to, wants to do something to help his people. Yeah, he really was offended by what he saw. Now, the Russians had represented for him up to this point a means of securing a title, uh, security in a position. He was uh, promoted, as we said, to captain. So this um, worldly institution, this organization, was shepherding him through his life and, and making uh, things quite easy for him. Uh, he was very comfortable in his position. But as you say, he, he witnessed um, uh, the atrocities, really, of the Russians uh, on his own people, the Polish-Lithuanian people, um, and at some point simply made the decision. In fact, in 1863, he resigned his commission and became the minister of war for the Polish insurrection. Now, I have to say, Francis, the book suggests uh, that he wasn't particularly taken up by the whole insurrection, but that he wanted to control it and make sure that nobody got out of um got uh, hurt and that things didn't get uh, out of hand, so to speak. Um, I, I find that a little hard to believe. Historically, I think uh, we might discover that he was uh, perhaps more actively involved uh, in the political component of the insurrection. Uh, but he was identified as the minister of war. Of course, he had studied uh, war and uh, uh, engineering. He knew something about the the military from his experience, his own experience in the Russian army. Um, and we have to believe that his expertise, his, his uh, uh, qualities as a leader, which were referred to very early on in the book, um, had to give uh, some comfort that he might be able to uh, assist in uh, sort of marshalling the resources for uh, what the Polish insurrectionists thought would eventually be a significant conflict with the Russian army. That the uh, Russians come down and they, they are hard-handed and they arrest him. Yeah, on uh, the 24th of March in 1864, he's, he is arrested. He's condemned uh, to death by firing squad, but his family intervenes and the sentence was changed uh, 
which I'm not sure <laughs> I know why. That, that perspective would be a good thing, but it was changed but, to 10 years in a Siberian labor camp. Yeah, they were afraid that if they went ahead and killed him, that he'd be a martyr for his people, because he was such a uh, patriotic person for Poland. Yeah. And so uh, I, I guess someone was, you know, they really liked him when he was in the army. Uh, he was respected right. in the army. And, he was. And he was a good person. And so uh, when that death sentence was commuted, you know, their their argument was, well, if we kill him, you know, they'll be he'll, he'll be, be the po- new cause. Yeah, he'll be a political martyr certainly, and and uh, the Russians wouldn't take that chance. So instead, ten years in Siberia, he's forced to trek overland to the salt mines in Usol near Erkst uh, in Siberia, a journey that takes him uh, some nine months. Now, I want to pick up on that part of the journey, his spiritual journey now, uh, in just a moment. I want to finish the biographical sketch, but that really, that time in Siberia, no surprise, I think, becomes the awakening of his spiritual yeah, journey uh, to the Lord. But pick up for us in uh, Warsaw. After the Siberian experience, he returns to Warsaw in 1874. Yeah, and he gets to be a, um, and this is when he comes out of the prison mm-hmm, after right. 10 years. So, you know, right. we'll come back to that in a minute. But in 1874, he comes to Warsaw and he becomes a tutor to this 16 year old prince. And I'm not going <laughs> to. August <Okay>. Zartowski. <laughs> okay, he did. Uh, Z- 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 Zartowski. Yeah. Uh, I, I have probably butchered that, and I apologize to the Polish people and those who uh, know better than I how that should be pronounced. But um, uh, this is in Paris, actually. And the backstory here, which is important, is that uh, he'd already had his spiritual awakening. He, he realized um, a devotion that had developed to. Uh, the religious life, and we'll we'll cover some of that in in our discussion about his experience in Siberia, um, working still with uh, Catholic priests in Siberia, teaching children. He had already developed this affinity to uh, teaching, and clearly had the skills for it. So, as a tutor for uh, for uh, Prince August, who is also known as Gusio or G U C I O. Gusio, right, is is the sort of pet name that Kalinowski had for him. The more intimate um, uh, relationship that he had. Uh, with his young uh, student, um, and and this happens in Paris, but very quickly, um, the young uh, um, prince becomes ill with tuberculosis, and this results in a series of uh, travel experiences looking for the right medical attention. They go to France and Switzerland, Italy, and eventually even to Poland, uh, looking for a cure uh, for the uh, young prince's condition. Now. Now- I have to interrupt here because I'm a musician, and there's something that happens here. When they're in Paris, they meet a famous musician, Herman Cohen, and that is a a famous pianist. He he was a student of Franz Liszt, and um, they met him. And uh, Herman Cohen actually became a discalced Carmelite friar, and actually his cause for canonization is up. And um, so I just had to point that out, that music connection, and who knows, maybe we'll do a program on on Cohen. (laughs) Well, uh, these travels, um, again, uh, bring Kalinowski not only into... um, uh, contact with a number of uh, well-to-do, well-recognized uh, individuals throughout uh, Europe, uh, but they also, th- this experience gave him the opportunity to begin his religious studies, uh, both philosophical and theological studies, um, and that leads to eventually 
uh, a decision, which we'll cover just a, a moment regarding his entry into Carmel. Um, as we approach the break, uh, Francis, go ahead and I make your last. W- yeah, one more thing. I just want the listeners to understand that Saint Raphael Kalinowski. Now, this is before he became a Carmelite. He is this tutor of this prince. That prince, August, Prince August, later becomes a priest, and then. Was beatified. Don't tell them by who, though. Okay, we'll tell them by who. Because it turns out that he's beatified by the very same pope that we're talking about at the beginning of the program. Second clue for the answer. (laughs) Actually, third clue, I think, by now, right? So this is a pope uh, who hails from Wadowice in Poland, who um, actually, as it turned out, uh, was um, uh, enamored of uh, St. Raphael. In fact, St. Raphael was his boyhood hero. And now we understand that he has beatified um, the young uh, Prince August, who Kalinowski uh, tutored. Now, we'll uh, have the answer to those questions, of course, when we come back and wait for our, uh, uh, our listeners to call in. But let's take a break, and we'll pick up with our uh, St. Raphael Kalinowski just after we come back. Oh, my. 
welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. Um, again, I want to give the number for those who may have an answer to the question that we have uh, been searching for an answer for uh, since the beginning of the program. Uh, first, let me give the number one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine, and we're looking for the Pope who um, hails from Vadovice, Poland. Uh, the place actually where St. Raphael Kalinowski, who we are discussing on this particular program, died. Um, St. Kalinowski was also the boyhood hero of this particular pope. Um, and uh, this particular pope actually beatified uh, young Prince August Zartowski, who um, uh, St. Kalinowski tutored in uh, Paris uh, after he was returned from his exile in Siberia. We want to pick up on the biographical material and just cover the balance of this fairly quickly so that we can get into the importance of his spirituality. Uh, We had left him in Paris and then traveling around Europe trying to find uh, a medical cure for his young tutor. His family, of course, was doing this. In 1877, Kalinowski joined the Carmel in Linz and took the name Brother Raphael of St. Joseph. The name of St. Joseph uh, had nothing to do with his uh, birth name. It was common for many Carmelites to list their name as of St. Joseph after the convent of St. Joseph, founded, of course, by Teresa Bavala, the co-founder of the Discalced Carmelite Order. I have to comment on that first name, St. Raphael. Um, I'm thinking, how providential that he got the name Raphael because he administered and helped so many people in need, whether they were sick when he was in Siberia in that prison for 10 years, um, you know, helping all those people spiritually, physically, in, in, in every way. And, and he continues in that realm. He really was like a um, a guardian angel of sorts, uh, much like Raphael. And, of course, uh, there were so many instances in Siberia, which we won't have an opportunity to talk about, but uh, where he uh, really brought healing and uh, a very um, um, strong personality, helping to guide so many people uh, through that difficult time that he lived through himself. Kalinowski was ordained a priest at Zerna in 1882 by Bishop Alan Dunajewski. Good luck. Um, Yeah, that was for you, Francis. And in 1883, he became the prior of the convent at Zerna. He founded multiple Catholic organizations around Poland and the Ukraine. Most prominent of those was a monasteriat, Varavice, Poland, which we've mentioned, uh, where he was also the prior for a time. He founded a Carmelite sisters convent uh, in 1884 and another in 1888. And I also want to point out that he did a lot of work in, like, Romania, Bulgaria, in uh, trying to get the laity involved in the Carmelite spirituality and promoting the brown scapular. So, um, he was very much a proponent of, of the brown scapula and, um, in fact, uh, didn't limit its perpetuation to uh, those who aspired to uh, join the Carmelite order, whether... Uh, as religious or secular. There were secular members, of course, at that time, uh, but was really an advocate of it uh, for anybody who uh, sought to develop a personal relationship with the Blessed Mother, which he also had developed uh, in his time in Siberia. And I also want to say that, you know, since... Uh, when Russia first came in and they were shutting down all the, the Catholic institutions and the convents and the monasteries and stuff, here uh, 
St. Raphael Kalinowski gets to come back and re- reboot them, so to speak, and then continue to spread them. And his bottom line here was also to try to bring unity among the people. You know, because he was firsthand eyewitness of the divisions um, that played and the forces that go against each other. So he very much wanted uh, the church to unite, for people to be one, and he continued to uh, live a life of an example that brought many people to the faith. Well, he was very respected in the East by the Eastern Orthodox. Of course, having spent time in Russia, he knew something of the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church and uh, was very much a proponent uh, of seeking reconciliation between Rome and uh, the Eastern Orthodox churches. Yeah, in fact, he was going to try, he was trying to found a Carmelite monastery in the Eastern Rite tradition, correct. which I had That's never heard correct. before. Yeah. Uh, just finishing on the, the biographical sketch, of course, in uh, 1907, we mentioned uh, in Vadovice, he died of tuberculosis. Now, we won't mention the last little bit of uh, information there, Francis, because our question remains, uh, which pope born in that same city of Vadovice um, was uh, responsible for um, uh, both canonizing, um, I- I'm sorry, for, for um, saw uh, St. Raphael as his own boyhood hero, uh, grew up in the same town, and did, in fact, canonize the young uh, Prince Augustus, uh, who we spoke about earlier, who was the uh, student uh, that St. Raphael tutored in Paris. And I bet you St. Raphael Kalinowski introduced this pope to St. John of the Cross's works. That's what I bet, because he did some translations of those works into the Polish language. Well, that was actually uh, Joseph Taranowski. Remember, we talked about Joseph Taranowski, who was the tailor in uh, in the city where uh, this particular pope we're, we're talking about. Uh, we did a, a piece on him. We probably ought to go back and redo that, because I think that was an important piece. Uh, but we'll pick up on that. Okay. All right. He went uh, into exile, which we said uh, earlier. And, um, we ten thought years, it was Siberian in, camp. Ooh. Yes, ten years in Siberia. And the only things he took with him were copies of the gospel, uh, copies of Thomas Akempis's Imitation of Christ, which if our listening audience is not familiar with, and I can't imagine that uh, uh, many people are not, but it is a wonderful book. Um, it is a demanding book to read. It asks for uh, a significant investment in, in um, uh, our Christian walk, but of course uh, our Lord asks for an investment on our part. Um, if we If we truly desire to imitate our Lord, um, Thomas Kempis's book, The Imitation of Christ, gives us a very good understanding uh, of what that invitation um, uh, requires. And finally, he took a crucifix with him. And those are the three things that St. Therese loved as well. Yeah. Exactly. The yeah. little flower. Absolutely. That, uh, she she uh, seldom was seen without the book, uh, uh, Imitation of Christ. Now, on uh, on the text, Francis, I think this is important. This goes to the heart of what I think his life manifested, uh, beginning in Siberia, which is, as we know, where his spiritual conversion, uh, his awakening began. We should point out, by the way, that uh, St. Uh, Raphael Joseph Kalinowski was raised in a very Christian household. His father, uh, uh, not just a, a great teacher of mathematics and engineering and so forth, uh, but also made sure that his children uh, were well prepared to enter the spiritual journey as well. Now, Kalinowski admits that he struggled a little bit with that in his early 20s, and 
when he became more politically active, uh, some of that was minimized. But um, without going into the details, at age 28, he has a reconversion, if you will, um, and turns back to the faith. And then um, later in his life, uh, uh, reflects back on, on that experience. But what is it about his experience in Siberia that is so important that becomes so clear about his life? Well, he says, and this is a quote, Outside of prayer, I have nothing to offer to my God. I can't fast. I have hardly any alms to give. I'm unable to work. The only thing remaining for me, <clears throat> excuse me, is to pray and to suffer. But never before have I ever had such great treasures, and I desire nothing more. And what's important here is he writes this from Usol, uh, where he has uh, just begun his journey and is suffering a good deal already uh, as his body and his mind sort of make the transition to the difficult life that he'll lead for the next 10 years. He's writing back to his family, and he says, this is the realization I've come to. I really have nothing to give except prayer and suffering. And isn't that the theme of, in so many ways, of our Carmelite charism, right? We've heard the story about uh, the Carmelite nuns who were interviewed by Ralph Martin uh, at one point, um, and he says, you know, what, what is it? What's the magic? What is it that makes you all so peaceful and full of joy? And they said, we pray, we suffer, and we love. This is the call to Carmel. Right. And, you know, while he was in this uh, exile, this imprisonment, he misses the, uh, the sacrament of penance. And he misses that spiritual direction. And so he is dwelling on what he was taught uh, and how he was guided. And this is starting to really mature now, I think, during these days. And so uh, here he's realizing he doesn't have access to those sacraments. And so he's appreciating, you know, what he's learned. And he's offering, you know, these sufferings and, and such a beautiful foundation for becoming a Carmelite priest. Well, and there was one other influence that drew him to Carmel. In fairness, he had considered other orders um, he knew he was drawn to the religious life. He'd begun to realize that call, but he had considered a number of uh, uh, paths, if you will. Uh, but something happens on one of these trips that we mentioned where he was taking the young uh, Prince Augustus, um, and specifically to Poland, to Krakow in Poland. Uh, and do you remember that story about the prince's aunt? Yes, it is Princess Mary of Grolchowski. Sartoriska, <laughs> I can't say it. Well, anyway, she is a discalced Carmelite nun, and she is living in the monastery at Krakow, one of the few that were remaining. Well, it was the only it was one the remaining, only one, right? yeah. And um, she's very much involved in renewing Carmelite life in Poland, and she's looking for men, you know, to be part of the order, just like Teresa of Avila. And guess what? She meets him in their little speak room because uh, he brought her nephew to visit her, you know. And so she sees in Kalinowski something really special, and she senses that, you know, he is sent there by divine providence. And she doesn't say anything to him right off the bat, but she um, wants to lead him to Carmel, and so she begins a crusade of prayer for his vocation to the order. And after that prayer crusade begins, then she invites him uh, through a correspondence, uh, and they go back and forth, and she sends to him uh, this poem. And I'm going to say the poem uh, because it's a famous poem. It's the bookmark of St. Teresa of Avila, and this is what it said. Let nothing trouble you. Let nothing frighten you. All is fleeting. 
God alone is unchanging. Patient endurance obtains everything. Who possesses God wants nothing. God alone suffices. Well, and of course, these words, uh, as the book tells us, become Kalinowski's own motto. This is the motto for his life. Um, and um, he says in his reflection after this, A year ago there came to me like an echo, a voice from the grills of Carmel. This voice was clearly addressed to me, and I have accepted it. It was a salvific voice from the infinite mercy of God commanding me. I can only exclaim, I will sing the mercies of the Lord forever. And this is the consequence of the uh, the prayer by St. Teresa, and of course the very deliberate prayer uh, on the part of the princess who he met, who was a Carmelite nun, uh, praying for him uh, in silence, not of course uh, sharing that with him right away, uh, but as a consequence he does make the decision, uh, and as we said, uh, uh, joins the Carmelite order. And this is really where he spends ultimately the largest uh, portion of his life, some 30 years, as a discoused Carmelite priest. Um, and I think it's important to point out where he um, uh, finds his mission initially uh, on this um, uh, call in, in two ways. The first is uh, Father Kalinowski uh, believed that the Carmel, uh, the call to Carmel for him was as an active contemplative. We've talked about this so many times. He lived the life of an active contemplative in that um, his prayer led to works. And he, of course, was a man who worked extremely hard um, at trying to uh, reinvigorate and, and revitalize the, the Carmelite order in Poland. Uh, but his prayer, which led to work, then led to contemplation. And there's a great quote, and I hope I can find it, uh, regarding um, the experience that people had of him, not what he said about himself, but what they had of him, that he was, here it is, he is a man whom his contemporaries regarded as the very incarnation of prayer. What a wonderful thing to be remembered as, isn't wow, it, Francis? what a tribute. For people to say that, in fact, he was called a living prayer, dedicated to works that were both demanding and often distracting. This man became a living prayer and the very incarnation of prayer. Now, we've heard that said about another Carmelite. Of course, it could be said about many Carmelites. but uh, Hopefully I, all of us at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually hearken back to um, uh, Brother Lawrence, who of of whom it was said that he became prayerified, that his very presence seemed to be in a state of constant prayer, unceasing prayer. And apparently the same thing was said of Joseph Kalinowski. What a wonderful uh, grace, blessing, and mercy to be uh, viewed that way. That's the first of his of his uh, significant uh, uh, spiritual elements. Now, we'll go through a, a list of these in a moment, but... Um, the second, which is so important, and it's where most of his work was done, he was convinced that the future of the Polish Carmel must be constructed on the foundations of the past. Now, Francis, I, I hearken back to one of the earlier programs that we just did on Elijah, and where we tried to go back and capture the spirit of Elijah. Remember? Right. remember? And we talked about the importance of not seeing Elijah simply as an historical figure, but that we needed to see the coming of Elijah, which Christ talked about in the Gospels, um, as the very uh, manifestation and preparation, if you will, for our own 
um, invitation to the Lord to enter the temple of our own souls, right? right? We must adopt the spirit of Elijah, that spirit of contemplative prayer. Kalinowski seems to have both understood that in his own life and transformed that, that uh, charism into the way he went about reforming the Carmelite order. In other words, we must understand our past. We must understand the beauty and the strength and the glory of Carmel in Poland before the Russian um, uh, imposition, if you will, uh, because that's how we'll recapture that and and uh, create our own future. Very powerful message, I think, that he represents. Well, and, and its prayer was so essential that... Um, there is a little quote here that I think that we should probably uh, put in right now. And here it is. The world can deprive me of everything. And he says this in a letter from Siberia when he was there. But there will always remain a hidden place it cannot reach. Prayer. In it, the past, present, and future can be drawn together in hope. Oh, God, what a great treasure you grant to those who hope in you. What a powerful uh, statement that is. This is from a man, by the way, who we should point out, wanted to be a lowly man. He wanted to disappear, wanted to vanish into the crowd, um, but he didn't succeed at that. Much like a famous pope, the very pope that we're talking about, and still waiting for our listening audience to provide us the answer on that, but uh, a very famous pope who, quite frankly, wanted to be a Carmelite priest and wanted to go away to a Carmel and spend the rest of his own life in prayer. But uh, fate and the Lord had other uh, plans for him. And of course, he was elevated to the papacy. Joseph Kalinowski wanted to be lost in the crowd, wanted to be a lonely figure in prayer and suffering. But instead, the Lord had other plans for him. He needed him to rebuild the Carmels in Poland and to be a leader. The gifts he had given him had to be exercised. Um, and he took on that responsibility very well. In fact, he had several areas of his spirituality that are, are important. So I want to kind of list them um, in case we don't get to talk about all of them, just to kind of put a teaser out there for you, for all of you to, to get this book and read about him. Um, first, we, as we have been talking about, he was a contemplative in action. And second, he was the precursor of the apostolate of the laity, so you'll be able to see that dimension. Of course, that applies very much to the seculars. Yeah, and this is this uh, comes out of his experience in Siberia. We said earlier, uh, in reality, the years of deportation in Siberia for him were years not only of pain, but also grace. Pain, which was changed into grace. Grace bringing him to the fuller maturation of his spiritual life. He was a secular at that time, of course. He had great devotion. He was actively involved. Uh, but he was, of course, uh, not a religious at the time. Yet he is uh, noted for having provided spiritual direction and counsel even then uh, to those who were suffering through that experience. Mm, the seed was planted. Exactly. And it just blossomed because that's the next category is that he is an extraordinary confessor and spiritual director. Uh, this is the same kind of story that you, you hear about with St. Padre Pio. Long lines in the confessional and great conversions. And, and he saw that as his place of work. He says that in his own writings. I saw that as as my place of work. There was a story about a nun um, who referred to the impact that he had, St. Kalinowski had on her life. Here it is. Uh, a discalced Carbolite nun testifies. I had been a nun for more than 20 years. How many of us, Francis, have been involved in our spiritual journey, perhaps uh, for as many as 20 years? But she says, I must confess 
that only when I confided myself to the spiritual direction of Father Raphael Kalinowski did I begin something like a second novitiate, changing my life radically. How many of us know uh, spiritual guides and spiritual directors who can have that sort of an impact on our lives? Uh, It's a very powerful thing, and unfortunately, uh, there are very few Uh, spiritual guides and directors who can give us that sort of experience. Of course, it's not them. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through them, but they have positioned themselves through prayer, through a deep life of prayer, uh, to be able to manifest that gift. And let me say two things about, you know, quotes from him about this sacrament of uh, reconciliation. He said that this sacrament is the baptism of the infinite mercy that we can approach so often, thanks to God's immense goodness. So here you have that divine mercy theme coming up again. And then he goes on to say, what counts is not so much tears and long lists, but, and I challenge our listeners to to take note of this, But what counts is the firm resolve to improve that is the touchstone of true contrition. It goes beyond sorrow and displeasure for the fault committed and abhors the sin greatly. And the fruits of a good confession then are is that it it purifies, heals, fortifies, beautifies the soul. And so how important this. He even calls this sacrament of reconciliation the invention of divine love. Yeah, he goes on to quote another priest who he actually does not identify, but this is important. He says, my daughter, now this is another priest in the confessional speaking to a, uh, a penitent, do you want your soul to come back to life, your failings to disappear, those failings which make you turn back from your resolutions and displease you, causing you restlessness and complaints? Go to confession frequently and confess well. Do you want to carry out the generous heart you uh, uh, generous heart, your obligations at times too heavy and contrary to your own dispositions? Do you want the strength to keep yourself from losing heart when suffering comes upon you? Go to confession frequently and confess well. Lastly, if you want to be holy and you want to walk quickly on the road to heaven, go to confession frequently and confess well. And by confess well, Francis, you said it so well. What he was saying is go to confession well prepared know what it is that you want to change. Well, and the other three categories that are mentioned in this book are, is he's an apostle of church unity, a forerunner of Vatican II's theology of the religious life. That's very interesting to read all that. And I love this part, but I don't think we can go into it, but it's very, very good. So please get the book for this. The sixth one was Mary always and in everything. And all of his points about how Mary affected and influenced his life, the role of Mary in his life are huge. Yeah, he also had some very good advice. You know, we, we started to talk about uh, his vice, advice on the confessional. Um, and I wanted to just read this one quote. He says, we go to confession like those debtors who go to settle an account. They pay, but with no intention to avoid contracting new debts. Uh, they want to appear as persons of their word, but they do this only so that they can receive new loans from their collectors in the future or from their creditors in the future. Um, I thought that was an interesting quote. He has one other one in our last moment here, and this is uh, with regard to um, his devotion to the Blessed Mother. Uh, but he's talking about the difficulty. Now, this is in uh, pre-1900, uh, uh, or early 1900 or, or pre-1900. He says, rather than, and he's talking about prayer, rather than speculate with many ideas he's referring to, it is better to limit ourselves to a few in order to attain much greater profundity. 
in our time with the tremendous ability, no matter where we are, to know what's happening almost anywhere on the earth. Again, he's talking prior to 1907 here. Our minds are easily scattered in a thousand directions. We have difficulty to concentrate on what ought to interest and attract us most, which, of course, he's saying is the interior life. How much more is that true today, Francis, for us who are trying to find a quiet and solitude and an interior state of recollection? Uh, he advocated that that was the most important thing, to limit those distractions. Yes, yeah, so uh, what a champion for this day and age. You know, we do need unity. We need peace so that we, we can an, have unity. <laughs> we need an appreciation for the confessional box. We need an understanding of the significance of spiritual direction and the ability for us to make progress in our spiritual life. St. Uh, Raphael Kalinowski represents all of this for us, and I'm sorry that we... Uh, uh, perhaps had to rush through, and I suspect that we may be revisiting this wonderful saint. Francis, could you close us out in prayer, please? And this is a prayer from um, his own pen, St. Raphael Kalinowski's prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, hope of suffering humanity, our refuge and our strength, whose light pierces the black cloud that hangs over our stormy sea, Enlighten our eyes so that we can direct ourselves toward you, who are our harbor. Guide our bark with the rudder of the nails of your cross, lest we drown in the storm. With the arms of this cross, rescue us from the turbulent waters and draw us to yourself, our only repose, morning star, son of justice. For with our eyes obscured by tears, we can catch a glimpse of you there on the shores of our heavenly homeland. Redeemed by you, we pray, save us for the sake of your holy name and all this through Mary. Amen. Of course, the name of our quiz, uh, the Pope, was uh, John Paul II. I'm sure many of our listeners knew that. Uh, We appreciate your listening again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless.